Uh, good morning. If you want to turn to Philippians 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Philippians 3, 1 to 16. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Well, this week we're going to try and cover 12 through 16. And last week we tried to cover 2 through 11. And just a summary of last week, we talked about, Paul repeats three times, beware or beware, 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 beware of what of false gospels. We don't want to place our confidence in anything other than Jesus. And we looked at quite a few different ways we can do that. Both non-Christians do it. They place their confidence in their works, in their goodness, in rituals, in many other things, in their knowledge. But none of that can save. Only Jesus can save. He's the only place where we can have true confidence. But also Christians need to hear it. And he's writing here specifically to Christians. And he said, it's safe for me to say this again to you. Because as Christians, we can know that our soul and that our sins are totally dependent for salvation on Jesus. And then slip in day to day into leaning on another thing in subtle ways, and we don't want that either. So both the Christian and the non-Christian need to hear that our confidence is, should not be in the flesh. It should be in Jesus. 
in what he did and who he is, faith in his righteousness and his death, and not in anything we do. If we do find ourselves confident in the flesh, we end up either conceited, we feel great how good we're doing because it's about us and what we can do or have done, or we're crushed because we realize we aren't good enough, we're never going to be good enough. The reality is that true confidence, peace, and and being right with God comes only through confidence in Jesus. So that's the foundation. The gospel is the foundation of the Christian life. The foundation, if it's off, the foundation on which the rest of the Christian life is built, the rest of the Christian life is going to be off. We can't build on anything other than Jesus. And if we're off even just a little bit, it can have serious consequences. It's not something we move on from. And that leads us kind of where we are today is, where's Paul writing this? What is the context in which this is being written? Well, Paul's writing to the Philippians, but in his own life, at this point, he's been a Christian roughly 30 years. And he's towards the end of his life, and yet, he's still talking about the gospel. He's still saying, it's not going to hurt us to talk about it one more time. And safe for you, let's talk about the gospel again. And he goes all the way back to salvation. Remember how you're saved. Remember how a person's made right with God. It's important. It's very important. And if you've been a Christian 30 years, it's still important. And then he moves on from, from the gospel, not moving on in terms of setting it aside, but building up from it. How do we live the Christian life then? If this is the gospel, if this is the message of salvation, then what does the Christian life look like? It's a good question. It's an important question. If we are trusting Jesus, if we are in Him, if we do have our confidence only in Him, if we're boasting in Him, now what? Where do we go in the Christian life? How do we live the Christian life? And that's what he really covers here, really starting in 10 all the way through 16. And we're going to do two negatives and then one positive that he, he teaches us about the Christian life. Two things that the gospel does not lead to. Start with me, looking at with look with me, if you will, in verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the first thing it doesn't lead to is perfection. The gospel doesn't lead us to be perfect people here. Christians are not perfect people. Paul, pastors, dads, wives, kids, Christians are not perfect. There's no one in here today or in the Bible who's wearing a cape like Superman and always runs around rescuing everyone. And when the temptation comes, they just bounce off like bullets. That's not true. There's no one like that. And if that, it actually really goes well with what David said. If that's our view of the Christian life, the Old Testament and the New Testament are going to be exceedingly confusing. Because you're going to see somebody who looks, this is who I've been looking for. It looks like they're a hero. looks like they've got a cape on. David defeated Goliath. And then you're going to read a couple chapters later that he committed adultery and he murdered someone. And you're going to be crushed. What happened? 
How, what do I make of this? Was he even a Christian? Was he even, did he really even know God? And you're, it's going to be so confusing. The reality is, it's not that confusing if we know there's no one that's perfect other than Jesus. There's no perfect Christian. There's no perfect Old Testament saint. Jesus is the only one, if we could call it, if we could say, that, say it this way, wearing a cape. He's the only one that always did the right thing. He's the only one that went and rescued. It was totally different than we would think, um, but he was the only perfect one. What does that mean for us? We're always going to need Jesus. If we're never perfect, we're never going to be able to move off that foundation of Jesus and confidence in him because we're not perfect and we're not going to be perfect in this life. We're not going to be perfect. You could write most of the New Testament and plant huge number of churches just like Paul but he's not perfect and he's still leaning on the gospel leaning on Jesus 30 years later if we believe this if we believe that we're going to be perfect we're going to end up the same place we were last week we're either going to be conceited or crushed because when, if you believe that Christian life leads you, you're not going to have any struggles. It's always going to go good. When you share the gospel every time, everybody, somebody's going to become a Christian. When you, um, that's just not how it's going to be. And if you believe that, you're going to be crushed or you're going to be conceited. And we don't want either one of those. We don't want to lean on the flesh. We don't want to have unrealistic expectations. We want to know that no matter how far we make it in the Christian life, in the race of the Christian life, we need to stand on the foundation of Jesus, confidence in Him alone, not in us, not in our maturity, but in Jesus. And we're always going to need Him. The gospel isn't about your performance. It's about Jesus's. It's about what Jesus did. Jesus' perfect life. Jesus' perfect death. And so... Our confidence needs to stay there. So that's the first thing that the gospel does not lead to. It doesn't lead you to be perfect. You're always going to be a representative of the gospel. But the representative that you're going to be is not a hero in a cape. It's going to be a sinner who's messed up, but is held and upheld and sustained and forgiven through Jesus. If you were a super-Christian you wouldn't be presenting the gospel very well. Because the gospel isn't people um, lean on your strength. It's you're a sinner who's messed up, who needs Jesus. And now that's what we are. That's, that's what we're, we're going to be living out in the world. We're going to be pictures of messed up people who make mistakes, who struggle, but lean on Jesus and he's enough. And that's a better picture of the gospel. We may not feel as good. I mean, I'm sure it would feel great to look like a hero running around all the time. But you know what's better is people seeing that they need Jesus and that we go to them and we can say, hey, look, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm really messed up. Uh, but you know what? Jesus saved me. And we can tell our kids, you know. You know what dad used to be like? Dad used to be really mean. But you know what? Jesus saved me. Save me from my sins. 
And we can be open. We can say, I'm not perfect, and I wasn't perfect, and you're not going to be perfect. But Jesus was, and you need him. So that's the first thing it's not. The gospel does not lead to perfection. And what's the second thing it doesn't lead to? It doesn't lead us to be passive. Look at these words here as we read this. Press on, strain forward, press on. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider what I what I have I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, it's no it's no surprise that he moves on here because the gospel, if the gospel really is that there's nothing you can do, that your right standing with God is totally based on Jesus and what he did, we know that the next question is, great, then why, not, why would I want to do anything? I don't have to strain. I don't have to press. I, don't, I, I can just live how I want to live and, and I don't have to work hard. I can just go to heaven. Jesus did it. Jesus did all of it. Why don't we sin like uh, Romans says, why don't we sin so that grace might abound? That's the natural response to the gospel for the lost man. It really, really is. I mean, it reminds me, going up on campus, I, I remember talking a lot of times to different people from different re- religious, false religions who were leaning on their works, and I would say, it's not based on your works, it's based on Jesus. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing that I can do to stand before God and be right with Him. And a lot of times I would say, if we, well, interestingly, a lot of times the people who are believing a false gospel will try and knit you in, like, we're, we're trusting the same Jesus, we believe the same Jesus, we have the same gospel, we're all Christians, we're all brothers. And there's times where you have to distance yourself and say, no, we're not. We're, we're, we believe different gospels. And one way I like to talk to them is, if we both died right now, if a lightning bolt struck right here, and a lot of times on campus... We used to not stand six feet apart. Um, and if we both died right now and we stood before God and he said, you know, you're a sinner. You, you've rejected me. You, you deserve death. Why, why would you come to heaven? Which God's not going to, it's not going to be a quiz. But if that happened, you would say something totally different than I would say. The false, the, the Catholic, the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness. And what is it that you would say? Well, you would say, I'm trusting in, but look at my good deeds, God. Look at all these things I've done. I got baptized. I went to church. I confessed to the priest. I, I did all these things. I lived a good life. I gave money. And I should go to heaven. And I would say, I don't want any of my good deeds. I don't want the best thing I've ever done to be on my account. I want Jesus. I want his works. I want what he did and none of what I did. One it's totally different gospel, totally different trust. And a lot of times the response would be, well, then why, why are you out here? Why are you talking to people? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you resist sin at all? If that's true, if it doesn't matter what I, what I do, then why not just sin? That's their response. It's really amazing. And one thing to note when people respond that way, if, if that's not the response... If the gospel someone's preaching doesn't lead to that response, it's not the real gospel. Because that's what Paul preached, and that was how people responded to him. Right? Because if the gospel of, you know, the Mormon is, 
If you're good, you can go to heaven. No one's response is going to be, well, then why don't we sin? That grace might abound. That will never be the response, right? If the gospel is Jesus paid the way, but you've got to clean up your life, and at the end of your life, if you climb the mountain of good works, then maybe you'll go to heaven, then nobody's going to say, well, then why don't we sin? That grace might abound. Because baked into that false gospel is you've got to do, you've got to earn your way. You've got to pull your own weight. But the true gospel is there's nothing we can do. It's all on Jesus. So then why does it not lead to being passive? Why does it not lead us to being passive? Well, one, it's because the gospel changes our values and our affections. We're not doing it to earn anything. We don't follow good deeds or try and follow Jesus and do good deeds to earn anything. We do it because, look at verse, let's look at this verse here, 12. I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. We're doing it because of what Jesus did. We're doing it because verse 8 says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We're doing it because verse 10 says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Why do we do these things if they're not adding to our righteousness, if they're not a ticket to heaven? Why are we doing them? Because we want to be like Jesus, because we want to know Jesus, because of what he's done for us, because of a love for him, the worth of Jesus is worth pressing in, even if there's not, even if your, your soul is not hanging in the balance. You still want to read your Bible. The gospel does not lead us to be perfect. doesn't lead to perfection, but it doesn't lead us to be passive either. It doesn't lead us to be passive. We're pressing on not to earn anything, but because Jesus has made us his own. It's really important. I liked when people would ask me that, well, why do you keep the commandments? I would say, well, Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I, that's why I keep the commands, because I love Jesus. It's not because I'm earning anything. I love Jesus. I want to do what he says, even if there's no, even if I'm not scared of punishment. That's the gospel. That's the response, the right response to the gospel. Now we did the two negative things the gospel doesn't lead to. Let's turn to the positive, which we already talked about, started. What does the gospel lead to then? If it's not passivity and it's, it's not perfection, what does it lead to? It leads to a life founded in the gospel that strives to make Christ our own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We're still striving. It's a different striving. It's a striving based on the gospel. So we're not striving anymore to prove our worth to Jesus or to earn our worth or to earn salvation or earn forgiveness or earn a relationship with God. We're not doing any of that. We're striving because we have forgiveness in Jesus, because we have worth in Jesus, because we have a relationship with him. We're striving because it's something we already have. Well, let's talk about this. Take a second here to talk about this. What is it he's saying this means? Not that I already have obtained this. 
What is the this he's talking about? Or am perfect, he says. Whatever the this is, he's, he's equating it with maturity or perfection. Right? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So whatever it is. Well, it is verse 10 and 11. To know Jesus and to be like him specifically in his sufferings and in his death. Christian maturity is Christ-likeness. That's what Christian maturity is. That's what perfection is, is being like Jesus. Specifically in his sufferings and in his death. That's what Paul's talking about here. He wants to be like Jesus. That's what Christian that's what it means to be a mature Christian. And he's pressing on to make that his own Paul. And that's the same for us. We are pressing on to know Jesus more, to be more like Jesus. Not pressing on so Christ will make us his own, but because Christ has made us his own. So, it's kind of a strange, a very strange emphasis here because last week we're saying what you do, it's not your confidence. Your Bible reading, your rejoicing, your how much you know the Bible, your emotions, how much you're filled with love to God or sorrow over sin or not fearing or how much peace you have or giving what you do to give, your time, your money, your energy, your home and hospitality. All that is not your confidence. And we spent all last week basically tearing that down. That can't be your confidence. That can't be your confidence. That can't be your confidence. And now that we've done that, we're kind of bringing it back in. <laughs> and the reason we're bringing it back in is because we're putting it in a different column. So last week, the column we were trying to cross all that out of is confidence. You can't have confidence in any of that. You can't have confidence based on your Bible reading. You can't have confidence based on how much you love people. You can't have confidence based on rejoicing always. You can't have confidence in any of these commands in the Bible because you can't keep them perfectly. You can't do what Jesus did. You have to cross all that out of your column of confidence and put one thing in it, and that only thing that can be in your confidence column is Jesus and who he is, what he did. Nothing we do. And Paul puts his heading over that column, the confidence in the flesh. You can't put anything that has to do with you, what you know, what you do, in that column of confidence. That's a false gospel. But now we take all that that we crossed out and we're moving it over a column to the goal column. Okay? Is reading your Bible every day a great place to put your confidence? No. It's a terrible place to put your confidence. If you're going to meet God and, and your confidence is, I read my Bible every day, there's no hope in that. <laughs> You need Jesus as your confidence. Is, it, is reading your Bible every day a good goal? Absolutely. It's a great goal. That sounds wonderful. You want to read your Bible every day? Praise God. That's a wonderful goal. It's a terrible place to put your confidence. You see the difference? And we can say that about all the commands in Scripture. You, you have a goal of rejoicing always, being like Jesus. You want to serve people, love people. You, you want to know God more. You want to be filled with love to God. Your emotions be in line with the, with the reality of the world. That's great. That's a great goal. That's a terrible place to put your confidence. You see the difference? Our confidence is in Jesus. When we mess up, when we don't read our Bible, when, when we don't love people like we should, when we don't rejoice always, we're not condemned because our confidence is in Jesus. 
We can be convicted. We can feel convicted because it's our goal. And we can't get those, we can't get those columns mixed up. We, we absolutely cannot get those columns mixed up because if we do, if any of them slip over, we're starting to live functionally or, at the worst case scenario, actually lose our souls because we're trusting in something other than Jesus. Our Christ-likeness, all those things we could call Christ-likeness. We want to be like Jesus. That's what maturity is, is being like Jesus. But we want them in the goal column, not the confidence column. We're on a race. We're pressing forward. We want to make it to the end to meet Jesus. Absolutely. We're pressing on. We're not perfect. We're not there yet. But we've got a goal. We've got a goal to be more like Jesus. Just a side note here. Interestingly, there was a... There's a false teaching in the early centuries of the church called docetism. I, th- I think I might be saying it wrong, but that's okay. And it basically was saying that Jesus didn't really have a physical body. And the reason that they said that was that in their mind, like spiritual things were so much better than physical things. They just could not imagine perfection having a physical body. And interestingly, Paul says the exact opposite here. He says, what's perfection like? It's like a God in a body not just in a body, dying on a cross. That's really amazing. <laughs> That's what perfection's like. That's what our goal is. That's where we're going. That's amazing. It's not what I would have thought, but that's the way that God set it up. Praise the Lord. What love, what humility, what glory there is there in Jesus. Perfection. That's where we're going. That's where we want to go. We want to be like Jesus. We're on a race. The Christian life is a race. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're straining forward. Paul likes to use this race and this athletic metaphor, especially here at the end of his life. He does it in 2 Timothy 4, which is another letter. They don't know exactly where to put it in, but it's really similar to this. Maybe I'll just read part of it. Thinking to me four, I'll read here from verse six. I'm going to skip around a little bit. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Language he also uses here earlier in Philippians. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved His appearing. And then I want to read you one more thing here. Jump down to verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. So here, interestingly, very similar language there about his life as a race. He's trying to fight the fight. He's trying to make it to the end, keep the faith, continue to trust Jesus alone. Um, maybe get back to Philippians here. And interestingly, he says, bring the books. So even in that, he's saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. He's still wanting to know God more. He's still wanting to learn more. Why does he want books? He's at the end of his race. 
He's still wanting to press on. He's still wanting a little bit. He wants to read a little bit more. He wants to know a little bit more. But we'll praise the Lord for that. That's an encouragement. It's kind of a surprise there after that verse. And bring me some books. <laughs> so we can see even there, he's still pressing on. This race, there's a lot. I mean, we could, spend the, we could have spent the whole time today talking about what is this race metaphor? How do we fit all these pieces together? But I think the main thing is the Christian life, we're striving still. We are still striving. We're going, and what's the goal? We're going to meet Jesus. That's the end of the race, is when we meet Jesus. And we want to be like Him. We want to honor Him with our life. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus, well, it could be that back at that time in the race, the judge uh, would call the winner up and give him a reward, a, a prize. And so that seems like this his metaphor here. We're pressing on, and at the end is when we meet Jesus and he calls us up, and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the reward, you know, reward of your master. And the only way we can do that is if we trust Jesus. We're, we're leaning on Him. Now, how do we apply this to us here? Well, let's apply it with kind of a metaphor, if you will. Um, just a little story, a parable, I guess. Because what we're saying is we've got to keep in mind the gospel, which is our confidence is not in us, it's in Jesus. And then from there on, we can press forward. We can press forward with confidence because of what Jesus did for us, who, who he is and how wonderful he is, what he's already purchased for us. And we've got to move these things that used to be in the confidence column into the goal column and not get them crossed, not get them confused day to day. I'll give you a, a short parable, short story here about, about that. Let's use the parent-child relationship. Okay, and we, you got two kids, and you said, you know, how, how are things going with your parents? What's going on at home? And what are you up to day to day? And, and this is what the child said. First child, I, want, I just want to honor my parents, and I just want to do what's pleasing to them. I want to keep my room clean. I want to have a good attitude, and I just I want to be honest and truthful. Everybody think that sounds good? Sounds good. And then the other kid, okay, kid number two, you ask him the same question, they give the exact same answer. I want to honor my parents. I want to do what's pleasing to them. I want to keep my room clean. I want to have a good attitude. I want to be honest. I want to be truthful. I want to do what's right. And you think, wow, that sounds good. And you watch them. They're, maybe they're brothers. Let's say they're brothers. And they go throughout their day, and they're both, they're doing, they're diligent, they're doing all these things. And you think, wow, these kids, they've got, some, they've got something right here. They're doing something... That's great that they went on to their parents. And then you ask them both, why? Why? It's great that you want to honor your parents, do what's pleasing, keep your room clean, have a good attitude, be honest, do, uh, do what you know is right. And the first child says, I want to honor my parents, do what's right, pleasing to them, good attitude, honest, truthful, because I want to prove to my parents that I'm worth keeping as a son and earn the right to stay in the family and earn my parents' love. You would say, whoa, something is really wrong. There is a, something deeply wrong here. Okay? Those are good goals. But if you believe that your, how clean your room is keeps you around and 
earns your parents' love, you've got some deep issues, and things are going to be really hard in the home, right? Because what happens when your room isn't clean? You're crushed, you're destroyed, you're, because you don't think your parents love you anymore. That's going to be a very hard, hard home. How is that person going to receive criticism, that child? Really hard. Because any criticism means my parents don't love me. It means they don't, I'm not worth keeping around anymore. I'm, about, I'm halfway out the door if I don't have my room clean. My mom said this and that under my bed. It needs to go. And I'm deeply shaken because if I don't get this cleaned up, my parents aren't going to love me. That is a deeply troubled child. And you would say, we need, we need to sit down and we need to talk. We need to have a meeting with your parents. And we need to get some things straightened out. On the other hand, child number two says all the same things, seems to be doing all the same things, keeping the room clean. And you ask them why, and they say, I, I, I want to honor my parents. I want to have a good attitude because I know my parents love me. And they've been very good to me. And I want to be more like my parents. My parents keep their room clean. My parents have a good attitude. My parents are loving to me, and I want to be loving back. That, those two kids, though they said the same thing at the beginning, though their outward actions look similar, are in a totally different place. One's healthy, one's not healthy. One's on a good trajectory, one's on a bad trajectory. And that little difference of the why at the end is huge. The difference is getting your columns mixed up. Confidence versus goals, right? If you're if your confidence that your parents love you is in your performance, something's really wrong. If you have a goal to honor your parents to do all those things, your performance, you want to be like Jesus, you want to do what's right at home, that's great. That's a great goal. It's a terrible confidence. And it's the same here, right? That's just a story of the gospel. If we get this messed up, we're really messed up. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be hard to receive criticism. It's going to be hard if we have a sermon about daily Bible reading and that's your confidence. You're not going to feel convicted. You're going to feel condemned. You're going to think if your performance is everything, if your performance is your confidence before God, when it comes out that you're not performing well, you're going to feel totally condemned. On the other hand, if that's a goal, but your confidence is in Jesus, you're going to say, there is there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Right? There's no condemnation for me. Do I want to, have I been slacking on reading my Bible? Have I not been pressing in to know the Lord? Yeah, I feel convicted about that, and I want to do better on that. But you're totally rooted in the fact that Jesus died for your sins, and he paid for that. And you're not worried about being condemned. That's totally different. It's totally different. And so here, as a church, I mean, we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about the commands. Should we, should we press on to follow them? Absolutely. But we always have to have in our minds and a reminder uh, that we can't say this much every week, but every time we present a command and we're saying, press on, fill in, pray more, um, love people more, we're always saying it in the context of, that's our goal, but our confidence is not in that. It's in Jesus. Every time. And what we mean by that is, if, if you're not doing that, but you're trusting Jesus, you're not condemned. You can feel convicted and not be condemned because your confidence is in Jesus. And we want the liberty and the freedom to call one another out. If we're going to call one another out, 
Our confidence needs to be in Jesus, right? If somebody comes to me and my confidence is slipping into my performance, it's going to devastate me. I'm going to be defensive. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be distraught. If my confidence is in Jesus, I'm going to say, you know what? I've been off. I I need to reset some of these goals. I need to press in and be more like Jesus. But I'm not condemned. Jesus is my confidence. Last thing, uh, and then we'll close here. Verse 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature, it's actually the word perfect, same word there. Those of us who are perfect think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. If you think you're mature, or if you think you're perfect, then make sure you realize you're not perfect, is what he's saying. It's kind of a play on words. If you are mature, you're going to know you're not there yet. And if not, if you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. God's going to help us in this. If, if, if your life is like mine, at the beginning of the Christian life, you got a lot of zeal, you got a lot of passion, you're pushing. But, I, for me personally, and a lot of you know, people I have talked to, my friends you know, my age, and um, you know, we were just talking the other day, I have a friend who married Jess and I, he's just a year older than us, but he's a pastor, he married us, and um, just talking about early on in the Christian life, we pressed in hard, but we got some of these things, we got our wires crossed, and we were leaning too much on our performance and now we're trying to pull back and have seen uh, a swing in the right direction of confidence in Jesus. If this, if we see someone or you see it in yourself, you're leaning the wrong way, we can trust Jesus. God's going to help us. God's going to help us. This is a very pastoral th- way for Paul to deal with it. He could have slammed those people. You know, It's like, you think you're perfect already? How, you know, he did, like he does to the Galatians, how foolish, you know, he doesn't, he says, God will teach you, God will teach you you're not perfect, and that's kind of an interesting thing, um, we don't really have to be worried if somebody's thinking they're perfect, God is going to teach them, and we can trust the Lord to help us in this, help one another, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Maybe there's some who have gone the other direction. Maybe you started out your Christian life, you had it all clear. My confidence is only in Jesus. You had goals, and and you knew they weren't your confidence, and you've kind of slipped maybe into pacifism. Uh, That's the wrong word. Being passive. You've slipped into letting some of those goals go by the wayside. You used to read your Bible every day, but you're resting in Jesus, and you kind of let that go, and now it's inconsistent. It used to be consistent. Or you used to pray. Uh, for people and and it was real and it was heartfelt and that's kind of slipped remember your confidence isn't in jesus but those are great goals you want to be like jesus jesus poured out his heart with loud crying and tears that's a great goal and maybe you have you need to hear only let us hold true to what we've attained have you slipped have you gone the other direction where you're leaning so much on jesus you're slipping into being passive and you need to hear hey let us hold true to what we've attained. You used to be like this. You used to have this goal. You used to follow Jesus like this. Come on back and, and let's try that again. And by the grace of God, ask for help. That's a good goal. It's not your confidence, but it's a good goal. Well, we need the Lord. We need the Lord in this. And 
We want to be the child that is looking to Christ and saying, you're a great God and I want to follow you, not to earn your love, not because I'm not sure I'm a child, but because I know I am and I want to be like you. And that's the press, that's the striving, that's where we're going and that's why we're going there, because Christ Jesus made us his own and now we want we want to press in, don't we? We want to press on. We want to make it our own because Christ has made us his own. So let's close in prayer here. Lord, we need help and we look to you. Thank you for this passage. I do pray you'd help us to apply it in the right way to our lives. We need help and everybody's in a different place I'm sure here this morning needs to hear different things whatever is helpful Lord would you help that to be remembered whatever isn't uh, I pray it wouldn't be remembered and I pray you'd help us to know where we're at if there's anything that's slipped into our confidence column would you please help us just to hand that over to you and if there's any way we've kind of become passive um, help us press on we need help. We can't do it on our own. We need you. We really, really need you today. I pray for our kids. I do pray that we would see kids come to know you and love you, building their life on the gospel. I hand this all to you. Amen.